Thanks for tuning in for this month's Best Moments of the Futures Radio Show podcast. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. They are the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit cmegroup.com. For new show notifications, please subscribe to Futures Radio Show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And new in 2021, Futures Radio Show is now being recorded in video exclusively on YouTube. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, TradeStation, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol RTY and micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. I want to start off with technicals. How much do you believe a technical strategy matters? This touches on some conversations we've had in the past, but I think that it, it, it's for people who are technical based, which 99% of traders are these days, even on an institutional level, you think they're all like information flow stuff. They're technical too. I've sat on those desks. That's what your edge is, in my opinion. Now, I know there's all these conversations around like, my edge is my mentality. Okay, yeah, I, I understand that you can't do it. But if you have the the mentality and, and the strength of a warrior and the Dalai Lama and everything, doesn't mean you're profitable trading. You won't be. Okay, so you have to have a technical edge. Okay, that is trades with an asymmetric risk reward skew that you learn how to identify and you learn how to access and capitalize on and manage risk for. And all the technical tools, and I don't care what you use, you could be NADRO-based and we could know exactly what we're doing. You could use all kinds of other stuff that I've never even heard of. Technical tools are the foundation of 99% of traders' edge. One of my favorite lines this podcast was, you touched on it a little bit there, is when we talked about statistical edge versus mental edge, you go, have one of these guys go out and trade with the Dalai Lama for six months and come back and trade the S&P 500. <laughs> yeah, on a one-minute chart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know it's it, – it, I talk a lot about trading psychology. I talk a lot about mental edge. But you have to look at it in context. I've already developed my strategy, and I think that I've done a mistake by not explaining that as well. And you just explained it perfectly that if you don't have that technical edge first until you develop that, it's how do you develop mental edge with execution? You don't even know what you're looking for. That's right. That's right. So it's on a scale. Okay. So you start at zero where you have no edge. Let's see. How should I explain it? Let me just say it simply. At the beginning, it's all about figuring out your technical edge. While I think importantly, learning about the mental frameworks and ways of thinking probabilistically and whatnot are, are very important, but you've got to figure out that mental edge. It's I saw someone in the chat earlier said, for me, it's 80% of the game, right? I, may or, I, I couldn't comment on if that's a good thing or a bad thing for that person because it depends on where they are in the spectrum. If you're starting out, mental game is like zero or 1% and technical stuff 
is 99 or 100%. Once you start to figure some of that out, guess what? Now it's about coming in and being able to perform what you've learned to try to do. And now it's about getting out of your own way to be able to go do it. So the oh, further yes. you go along the, the spec, the it's not the same. It's You can't say, hey, you, day one trader, remember, 80% of this is mental. That's not helpful to them. Okay. But you talk to the pro, you say, hey, 99% of this is mental. Okay. Exactly. You've got technical prowess. You understand a methodology with edge. You got to get out of your own way and you got to be able to just get innocent, get childlike, get to that place where you're, you feel like you're just a student of observing and learning and to be able to go and, and do it. That is the end all be all answer to technical mental. Yeah, no, we're in complete agreement about that. And I think that this is, and like I said, I'm guilty of this. You look at, you look at FinTwit, it, depending on where that person is in their career and what they're tweeting about, you have to take it within context. I talk a lot about psychology because to me, I can look at my charts for five minutes in the morning and know exactly what I'm looking for today. I'm not working on that aspect as much. I still am, but not as much. I am trying to be working more on myself, my self-awareness and things like that. I want to talk about Nadra. We got a ton of questions here today, so I want to make sure I leave enough time for it. And because I, I want to quickly go to the charts, because I know you put some tweets out this morning about S&P and maybe we'll take a look at crude oil. But so I don't want to rush you because I think Nadro is important, but talk to us about what Nadro is. Nadro is just a, an acronym for the methodology that I have pieced together over a career of trading since I started in high school, actually trading. I started studying trading in the sixth grade. N-A-D-R-O. It's a top-down approach. We start with a big picture. And the biggest thing is the N, which is for narrative. You want to, we learn to speak a language of markets, okay? And it's very market profile, auction market theory, value, okay? Not like value investing, but value areas from a technical sense. Where is the market telling us there is value? And today, what are we doing relative to where there is established value, okay? So that frames like a context it's more complicated than that. We use long-term VWAPs across multiple timeframes. We use uh, custom composite structures with market profile in order to piece together where is their confluence of value across timeframes and learn to speak the language of the market as to what is the market trying to do? Where has there been a most key recent rejection where we've left an area that has been a significant threshold or whatnot? Whether that's a, a trend or whether that's a reversion back into value, that's helping us frame the context. And, and we could even re remind me when we talk about the S&P later, I could tell you exactly what was that situation today with why I put that tweet out and whatnot. So anyways, it's all about the narrative. From there, A for acceptance is kind of like telling us where the threshold is crossed, where we understand which narrative, what's going on, where we're biased long or short. And guess what, guys? A lot of people think bias is a very dirty word. Never have a bias, blah, blah, blah. It depends on your definition of bias. If you're blindly biased and your answer is to like, why do you want to be long here or whatever, as you said, because I'm bullish, that sounds like a blind, stupid bias that's going to get you run over if you have the Anthony's old habit of fading a trend or something. Oh, I'm just bearish. This thing's too high. Oh, yeah. That's not a, a real bias. 
our biases must have a recent key rejection, a likely destination where the market's headed, and a line in the sand as to where that bias is invalidated. If you don't have all of that, you don't have an actual healthy bias. So anyways, acceptance tells us which bias to look for, and we learn to not get chopped up as much as markets slightly trade in below, above and below lines in the sand, which is a trader killer. So acceptance is a huge, that's the A in A. D is for developing value, which is shorter term within the context of like where value is big picture. Where's value today inside of the big picture? And that helps us access the trade by either fading extremes of today's value or going with what we call imbalance and trend, going with the trend. Context tells us whether we should fight a, a, a short-term trend or what, and that's, that's what I said about crude oil today was I know value migration is lower recently short-term, but I see this as a potential bullish inflection in terms of where the risk reward is skewed. It doesn't mean it's going to go up. It means that this is where I'm seeing risk reward. So we use developing value intraday. Rhythm is something I was taught a long time ago to get in tune with the current level of volatility and the current ebbs and flows. How is the market ebbing and flowing on your trading time frame, so that we can begin to get a little more precise within this contextual framework of narrative, of where we are with the acceptance picture, of where we are with developing value today? Where can we seek to time trades so that we reduce the amount of heat that we take on a position and enhance the risk reward of a position. So that's rhythm and O is order flow. Order flow is the last man on the totem pole. It's the least important, but it can be the most immediately pressing thing because that is the true hard right edge of the market. What's on the tape? Is there a big flurry of aggressive buyers over the past three seconds? That's important, okay? Maybe it's not time to just slam the bid. Wait for at least that flurry of buying to capitulate and reverse or whatever. Use that to, again, enhance timing, enhance risk reward, see inside the bars, so to speak, right? What's the energy levels behind a bar chart? That's the order flow behind them and how aggressive participants are being. So those are all the tools. It starts at the top. It works all the way down to figure out when and where we have positive expectancy and one of our playbook trades to put on. We call this the episode with the godfather of market profile. We've got so many people always sending me messages wanting more and more shows about market profile. And you are really the man when it comes to market profile. And for those out there that don't know why I called you the godfather of market profile, give us that story about just the beginning of how you got involved with market profile. Many years ago, I was... Uh working in my office and I was doing graphs and trying to look at places where I would buy puts and calls. And I had these distribution charts. A friend of mine from the grain floor walked in. He said, oh, you must know Pete Stoudemire. I said, no, I've never heard of him. He said, this looks like you're doing market profile. I said, no, I, I don't know market profile and I don't know Pete Stoudemire. He said, can I bring Pete up to introduce him? I said, sure. So a couple of days later, Pete comes into the office and, and we meet, and within about two minutes, I understood what a find he had made. He was a um, graduated in statistics, I believe, from Stanford. And as a statistician, you're 
concerned with distribution charts. And in order to have a distribution chart, you need a constant and a variable. And what Pete discovered is you could create a distribution chart by using time as a constant and time as a variable. And all that does is just organize the data under a distribution curve. And of course, another thought of a distribution curve, it's an informational graphic that allows you to see some really important information that's very complex, but in a manner that is more pleasant and easier for us to interpret. So Pete and I talked for a few minutes. He walked out to the elevator, walked back in. He said, uh, you want to sponsor my first book? He and Kevin Coy were doing a book on market profile. And I said, how much? He said, 10000 And I wrote him out a check for $10,000. And that was my introduction to market profile. Afterwards, I thought, am I nuts? But as it turned out, it was uh, probably one of the best investments I've ever made. Man, I tell you, it is every time I hear that story, I love it. And because you have vision, you had vision that this tool could be used by so many traders. And what I think is so interesting about this, and what year was this, Jim, that you did that? Oh, it probably was around 1973. Careful, my memory's <laughs> gone a little bit. So everyone just put that in perspective. There is no screen trading then. It's not even a thought at this point. The only people looking at charts were people that were off the floor and forwarding orders in. And it, most people, at least even the times I was there in the mid to early 90s, nobody was uh, really actively looking at screens while they were trading. Most of us were either obviously in the pit, but a lot of the traders, they would print up their charts and a lot of it was done on paper to where we would look at it, make our decision, and then we go and trade the price action. This is something that is so far advanced <laughs> before screen trading even comes in. And that takes me to how you actually use market profile because you were able to use this from seeing the pit, understanding how the pit operated to eventually evolving on the screen. So you've been using this for a lot of years. And one thing I know, because I've talked about this with you on the show is that you don't think that market profile is truly your edge. You use it, it's, you use it as a tool, we'll say. I'm sure you'll correct me on exactly in how you use it. But, but explain to everybody how you use market profile. The market profile is nothing but a distribution curve. And scientists for years have tried to organize data under a distribution curve so that it's better, it's easier for them to tease information from that organized graphic. And that's really all I do. It's just, it's easier to see what's going on because I can picture it. Historically, when you were on the floor, you got your information via sound. When you heard, as you said yesterday, if all of a sudden you heard the noise level in the crowd go up, you knew something was going on and you wandered back into the trading pit. Yep. And that didn't give the transparency to the outside world. There was an advantage to being on the, on the floor. One advantage was you bought on the bid, sold on the offer, and you had very small fees. But the information that you had there was really captured in a very, for a very small audience. Once we went to screen-based trading, and you could look at the market profile, it gave you a different way to gain insight into the market. On the floor, the only way information got into your brain was through, through the ears, through a sound. When the profile came around, 
you now could see what was going on. So it changed the input from sound to sight. So sight of all the senses we have, sight is the only way that we get information into our brain. Once we get it into our brain, it goes into a very complex structure. And over time, it actually restructures the internal makings of our brain and how we look and visualize the markets. That's such a great explanation of what it is. And one of my favorite parts of one of our conversations in the past is you said, if I walked into a room, Anthony, and somebody said to me, what's the average height of everybody in here? You remember when you told me this? I don't know if you do or not. You said it yeah, was like, I, I, Yeah, I did it from the point of view. If I had a barbecue in my backyard and there was 50 people out there and they said, what's the average height? I said, I don't know. So I walked out and I just organized those people under a distribution curve. I put the tallest ones in the center, taper them down. And oh, I said, oh, it's probably about, about 5'10". As the barbecue goes on, some people leave and more people come in. I do that same reorganization an hour later and I said, oh my golly, look how it's changed. It was 5'10", now it's about 5'6". So I graphically can see the change that's taking place in the market. Yeah, and I mentioned that it's not your edge. And I know that so many traders out there just look at market profile and their trading. What else do you look at alongside with your market profile? Manaska, I was embarrassed the other day I made a comment to you and you said, Jim, that's before my time. I'm 81 <laughs> and obviously I still think I'm 20. So I uh, was embarrassed to say that. But as you remember, and I asked you this morning, when I was on the floor, it was always important to know who was sending in the orders. For, they were firms and some of these firms I mentioned, you may not know or others may not know they're not around anymore. But we had a firm called Refco. Was the order coming from Refco? Was it coming from Goldman Sachs? Was it coming from Solomon Brothers? Or was it coming from Dean Witter, which of course has morphed into a bigger operation? But the idea was if the orders were coming from Goldman Sachs, the traders on the floor knew that they were probably more sophisticated orders and had higher odds of being meaningful and carrying through to the direction of the order. If the orders were coming from Dean Witter, which was a retail firm, then they thought there was less reliance on that being a meaningful order for continuation. And that always stuck in my mind. You wanted to know who you were competing against. If you're going to fade that, you're going to fade Goldman Sachs if you're a trader, or you're going to fade Dean Witter. When we're looking at the market profile, when I see that the references on a day where I see traders are buying at half back from the 30-minute bar or half back from the, the day or half back from overnight, I know that those are the smallest and weakest traders. They're using very exacting levels to come in and, and buy. So I know that my competition is weaker hands day time frame traders. And that gives me an edge. If I see a day where the market's not even paying any attention to those references, then I've got a pretty good idea that I've got some more serious, whether it's investment money or more serious trading money that I'm dealing with. So knowing who I'm competing against really provides an edge for me. It's like I played a lot of um, racquetball over the years. It made a difference for playing a left-handed player or a right-handed player. Shame on me if I forgot to notice. Trade the global markets with trading technologies. 
TT is the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. Learn more at tradingtechnologies.com. I want to talk about that year of 2019. You are the U.S. investment champ that year yep, in a yep. tough year. What was your mindset? What was your process? What did uh, you do to win? Yeah, I wanted to be, come in there and be a textbook trader. And I don't know what I wanted to do with it. I just I want to get out and start to get involved and to start talking with other traders and get involved with the contest. And I was in the lead in the beginning or you know, first and second, switching around, of course. But that year was really tough. And that was... A lot of uh, trade war tweets and things like that, where all, all the breakouts got sold and just trying to hang in there till the end of the year. And, and that mindset of just stay, staying positive and not talking negative about yourself and staying focused. I, I like your, your mindset stuff you do on your show and the focus on health and health is important. If, if your health isn't there, the mental game isn't there. But eventually I was able to get it going at the end and just quickly flipping swing trades in and out at the end in the last two months and eked out the win. So it was fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun too. That's really cool. And we're definitely going to talk about some trading psychology and we're going to talk yeah. about mindset. And I love to talk about that. But I want to ask you a few questions about your strategy. Yeah, right yeah. now, everybody's talking about earnings. Do earnings even matter to you? Earnings do matter. And that's in a really nervous market like we're seeing right now. Everybody's waiting for earnings. So you're not going to get a lot of moves until earnings. So the only moves we're really getting are earnings, the big breakout moves anyway. Trying to get in some of those through a pivot is one thing I've been focused on, but we haven't been able to get too many of them going. But I have that Zim today that this shipper been focused on that, held some through earnings and seems to be working out and focusing on that group itself is you know, focusing on the groups as they pull back right now is key because I'll show later the IWO is the I would say the main indicator that would say how difficult swing trading is for smaller stuff. People don't come to me to trade Apple and Google and stuff like that necessarily, but that's where all the money's hiding, right? So everyone buys Apple and there's all these large caps. It's an ETF market just floating up there when any strength in these smaller names or just breakouts gets sold. So I'm really focusing on like pullbacks right now. And like I said, when the groups pull back, see what held up and try to get in on a pullback or a lower pivot or something like that versus 52 week highs right now. And there's a high tight flag out there. It may not be one anymore. I got to measure it, but it was ASAN and they'll come out 5%, they'll dump it and they'll come out 5% and they'll dump it. So I'll show that later at the end of the show when we do some charts, but it's been a difficult market. You got to be faster. That's the key. And that's part of my signal. I just use like a red, yellow, uh, green signal. On red signal, I'm taking profits faster and moving stops up as quickly as I can. Uh, maybe even taking smaller stops and, you know, you're having smaller size till you get some traction. So we're waiting for those really easy environments and trying to eke out some gains in the meantime. Yeah, you mentioned environment. If you could just summarize how you go about identifying an environment, is it purely technical? Yeah. Is it fundamentals? What goes through your mind to summarize what environment? Uh, it's a lot, a lot of technicals, but it has to do with like how well I'm doing. If, if the if these breakouts are working, if they're getting out and sticking, which they're not. The big money for me is made in the you know big trends, and I originally was a trend follower, but I switched to swing trading. When you hit a certain level, you don't want to roll your money down and do every retest until you, you don't want to hold your money forever in something that could go down 50%. I'd rather be out in 5%, go to cash or something like for that COVID crash or something like that. So that's part my style. I was doing a little bit of both, but switching to swing trading of solely was key for protecting my money really. So if you had to summarize it, 
okay. as to what your strategy is, what would you say? I'm focusing on the higher relative strength stocks. First of all, if I can get high tight flags, if they're all setting up and working, I'm attacking those. And I'm just trying to flip it out, compound those gains and get bigger size into things that are working and focus on risk management first and not having big drawdowns really. That's the key. Uh, big drawdowns, that's just mentally devastating. And when you suck and you will, and, and I have periods of you'll have a bad week or something, you want to be careful. And then maybe you're off your game or something like that. And you want to be sized down. And if you're too stressed out, it's always your body's telling you something too, right? Like you should be sizing down. So uh, a lot of stuff hasn't been working the last few days. So just a more careful environment for me, faster on the trigger to sell and uh, slower to buy. It's got to set up perfect. So you take the feedback from the market and from yeah. your body. Are, are you watching? Your, <laughs> right. Only I mean, it's so much the body, but I'm just saying a lot of people don't, they'll try all this stuff and your body's telling you something too, yeah. when you get in over your skis, but it's, I'm looking at all the indicators, especially the IWO is a small cap growth ETF. As that's rolling over under the 200 day right now, I'm just let it come back. It's, this is a dangerous spot for swing trading. So we're very careful and very focused on like shippers right now and steel, things like that. So get S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100 by the slice. Just one tenth of the pie. Trade the tastiest index futures, micro e-mini options with TradeStation. Get a piece of the pie now. Traders only care about a few things. How do I make money? How do I get better? And is the playing field level for me? And I think that the exchange, CME Group, and all the other futures exchanges, and a lot of the software companies like Trading Technologies have done an unbelievable job at pretty much removing bad behavior from futures markets. And I want to start off by asking you, how level is the playing field right now for futures traders? Yeah, there, like you're saying, Anthony, there has been such a tremendous focus on things like spoofing over the last five to 10 years. There's no doubt to me that type of activity has uh, been greatly reduced in the markets today. But that being said, there's no doubt in my mind that it actually still exists. And a couple of reasons for that are, one, you have people trading on U.S. markets from all over the world. And a lot of these people, maybe from some of the Asian locations or some other places around the world, they don't even really know what spoofing is or what it means. And so because of that, they may be still engaging in that type of activity. And I think that in the less liquid products in particular, maybe things like commodities or energy products, where it's easier to move markets than some of the more liquid products that are out there, like an e-mini or something along those lines, you can still see this activity happening on a fairly regular basis. But then ultimately, I think the other part of that is that some people just don't always know they're spoofing. It can be completely inadvertent. Even people here in the States, they might think that they are just doing their normal trading activity, but to a regulator, it may look like something completely different. Yeah. And I think that's something that we need to address right away. That's one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring you on today is because a lot of traders send me in questions and say is, what is spoofing, Anthony? I've heard about this. How much is it impacting the markets that we're trading? Explain yeah. to everybody what spoofing even is. Yeah. So spoofing is essentially you're putting in orders that uh, when you're putting in those orders, you intend to cancel them. So you're putting them in to essentially trick other market participants. And so a very basic vanilla type of a spoofing thing would be somebody puts large orders on one side of the market, 
they put some small orders on the other side. If they get filled on those small orders and then they cancel the large orders really quickly because they never really intended to get filled on those large orders. They were just using those to induce other market participants to get filled at better prices. So that is just a very vanilla basic type of a spoofing pattern. But there's a lot of different variations that come along with that. So layering, you can be layering the, the price ladder, layering the order book. You can be flipping the market back and forth and changing things back and forth. And there's all these different patterns that come along with spoofing and the regulators, they don't have one set definition for the pattern they're looking for because it's an intent-based rule. So they're really just looking for a pattern and then they go from there and they'll investigate from that point. They've identified the pattern, they see something they don't like, and then they will investigate it from there. Yeah, I think that is one of the issues with something like spoofing is that it doesn't have an exact definition. And I think that's why a lot of traders have been writing into me saying, what is it? And one thing I will say is that I've worked with the exchanges over the years. They don't want it, okay? They do not want this at all. They want it gone. Obviously, they don't want to have people doing bad market behavior in there. So I think a lot of people right out of the gate say, the exchanges don't even care. That's not true. I, will, I, I know that for, for certain. But the exchanges also can only do so much. When you have people like you with trading technologies, and TT has actually become so much more than just a trading platform. It's become a technology company in, in so many rights. But right there on the platform, you guys can actually tell people whether or not they're spoofing. Now, even though we say it's gray, it's not black and white, you can still do that. Explain what some people that are using this, what because it's not black and white, let's say this, explain what trading technologies software would be recognizing to saying, hey, you're spoofing, stop it. Otherwise, you're going to have a problem. Yeah, so every trade that you're engaging in, every order message, it's all being essentially processed by our surveillance system, TT score. So if you're on a TT screen, that's just happening automatically in, and that's we process everybody's results on score. And all of that data in is being measured in mathematical similarity to regulatory case data. What I mean by that is we basically take the data and then we do a mathematical similarity comparison to regulatory case data that we've trained our machine, model, uh, machine learning model with. Then we're just basically gauging that similarity to develop a score. The score is on a scale from zero to 100, with a 100 meaning this activity has such a high degree of mathematical similarity to that regulatory case data that you need to look more closely at this because whether or not you're doing this intentionally or not, the regulators are seeing this as well, and it looks so similar to something that they've investigated in the past that there's a really high degree of probability that you are going to be investigated for that activity. Now, the score is not making a legal statement. It's not saying this is definitively spoofing. Criminal behavior has occurred here and you're instantly in trouble. That's not what we're trying to accomplish here. What we're trying to do is be a bomb sniffing dog. We're trying to say, look, there's, a, there's an issue here that you need to be aware of. You better look more closely to make sure that you're not creating the appearance of, of spoofing. And if necessary, you may need to change your strategy because it may just be so similar that you're putting yourself at risk. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications 
and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycredelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Futures Radio Show is produced by Crudelli Productions.